السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا Alhamdulillah, inna alhamdulillahi na'maduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'ufiruhu wa nu'minu bihi wa natawakulu alayhi wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'amalina man yahdihillahu falamudillalah wa man yudlil falahadiyalah wa ashadu an la ilaha illa allahu wahdahu la sharika lah wa ashadu anna sayyidana muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أعاذنا الله وإياكم منها أجمعين Dear brothers and sisters Do you know the Arabic word for superstition? The Arabic word for superstition 
is khurafa. But khurafa is actually the name of a man in ancient history. So the word in Arabic for superstition is the name of a man named khurafa. Sayyida Aisha radiallahu anha, she relates, one night, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam related a story to his wives. And one of his wives said, that story sounds like one of the stories of Khurafa. He said, do you know who Khurafa is? Khurafa was a man from the tribe of Banu Uthra. And in the period of Jahiliyyah, pre-Islamic ignorance, he was kidnapped by some jinn and he remained captive with them for a very long time until finally the jinn returned him to human beings. He would relate to people the oddities he saw while he was amongst the jinn. So people began to say that such and such is a story of Khurafa. So the word superstition in Arabic comes from this man named Khurafa and all the stories he told came to be known as stories of Khurafa. Dear brothers and sisters, the Messenger of Allah is described in the Quran as a light, as a nur. Allah Ta'ala says, Certainly there has come to you from Allah a light and a clear book. Because in order to approach the Qur'an, the Book of Allah, you need to have light to read the book. And the Prophet ﷺ is that Nurul Huda, that light of guidance, by which we have clarity and by which we understand the meanings of the Qur'an. He is likewise that light that banished the darkness of polytheism, of shirk, of kufr of dalala, misguidance, as well as superstition. The Prophet ﷺ banished idol worship, and he also called against superstitions, always guiding the ummah to a central and key belief, la nafi' wa la dar illallah, that there is no one and nothing that can bring benefit or harm except God Almighty. There is nothing in the heavens or the earth, nothing in the cosmos that has independent power and ability to harm you or benefit you except if it is by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Likewise, the Prophet ﷺ guided us on how we understand the basics of cause and effect, how we relate to cause and effect in our daily life. There is a hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said one morning, he related to the companions that Allah Jalla Jalaluhu says that some people have awoken in the morning as disbelievers in me and believers in the stars. And there are some who have awoken as believers in me and disbelievers in the star. Mu'minan biya wa kafirul bil kawakib. He says, some have woken up in this state or that state. Then he says, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that Allah says, 
As for the person who says, مُطِرْنَا بِفَضْلِ اللَّهِ وَبِرَحْمَتِهِ فَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ بِي وَكَافِرٌ بِالْكَوَاكِبِ He says, whoever wakes up in the morning and says, we receive rain due to the blessing and mercy of Allah, then that person is a believer in me, Almighty God, and a disbeliever in the stars. But whoever wakes up in the morning and says, مُطِرْنَا بِنَوْئِ كَذَا وَكَذَا we receive rain due to this or that star, then they have disbelieved in me and have affirmed belief in the stars. So this is pointing to a belief that was held by many people in the pre-Islamic period and still held today, that looks at the stars as a direct cause, an immediate cause creating the effects on, in the earth in terms of rain. Now, the scholars of Islam have understood this hadith in a very particular way. Imam al-Nawi, rahimahullah, for instance, he says that this is regarding the person who says this while believing that the star or stars in themselves are doers. They, they do the action of managing and spreading rain, as was claimed by some of the people of Jahiliyyah, the time of ignorance. Whoever believes this, he says, there is no doubt concerning their disbelief. Based on this, however, he says, if a person said we were given rain due to such and such a star, while believing that it's from Allah and His mercy, and that the star is just a sign or a time post marking this adatan customarily, indicating the onset of rain, then it's as if he said, Rain has come to us at such and such a time. He says this person is not guilty of disbelief. Simply put, we believe that God is, in, is the creator of all the causes and effects. That is our belief. However, we live in the world of cause and effect and we speak with shorthand. If you say, the clouds brought the rain, you're not guilty of disbelief because we know as a believer, as a Muslim, you don't mean that the clouds are the direct actors involved, that they created the rain. You know, you believe that they are the sabab, they are the means by which the rainfall comes. When you say water quenched my thirst, you don't mean that the water created the quenching, but Allah created the quenching in you in conjunction with that water. So we as believers understand cause and effect as a reality while tracing all of them back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam brought us a very pristine, clear, and clean teaching about the oneness of Allah in His absolute power. And this belief that we have in the oneness of Allah, His unicity, this tawheed is not just about worshipping Allah ta'ala, it's also about affirming that no one else besides him has independent power. It is our belief as Muslims that everything is in need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so no created thing has independent power to harm or help. And we don't believe that things are granted this power and they're running autonomously. We believe that Allah's will and His power his qudra and irada are linked to all created things at every single moment, in every single period, in movement and stillness. 
Now these teachings were given to the Sahaba who then gave them to the Tabi'un, the second generation, and so on to the third, and we received them through them. And in one of these teachings we have in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah relates to us a very powerful and important hadith which he received in a very special occasion when he was a young man on the precipice of maturity, of taklif, right before puberty, as a young man at about 10 or 11 years old. And in this narration, he says that he learned these words from the Prophet ﷺ when he was behind him on an animal. He says, Kuntu khalfa he says, I was once riding on an animal right behind the Prophet as this young man. And he says to me, Ya Hulam, O young man, he calls out to him to get his attention, teaching him very essential knowledge that we should remind ourselves of. Ya Hulam, O young man, what did he say? He says, Inni u'allimuka karimat. I shall teach you some important words. Be mindful of Allah and Allah will protect you. Be mindful of Allah and Allah will protect you. The word ihfal comes from hif, which we know in Arabic usually means to protect or to safeguard, but that cannot be the meaning here. He is not saying protect or safeguard Allah. What he means is to be mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just as Allah says in the Quran, in yansurkum. If you give victory to Allah, He will give victory to you. So He says to him, Be mindful of Allah. Be mindful of the limits set by Allah. Be mindful of His rights over you. Mind these matters. Be mindful of His prohibitions. This is how Allah describes the believers. Those who safeguard and preserve the integrity of Allah's limits, His boundaries, His halal and haram. What He has made lawful and what He has made unlawful. Now this sentence is a conditional one. He says, If you do X, you receive Y. If you are mindful of Allah, Allah will protect you. That is the consequence. And one of the ways that Allah guards and protects us when we are mindful of His boundaries is that He protects our hearts, He protects our minds, He protects our intellects, He secures us against false ideologies, false beliefs, unlawful desires. And by being mindful of Allah, we have layers of protection. And without being mindful of Allah, we lose those layers of protection. <coughs> Dear brothers and sisters, right after this, the Prophet ﷺ said to the young Ibn Abbas, Once again, he says this. He says, be mindful of Allah and you'll find him in front of you. Here, the Prophet ﷺ is emphasizing the point he just made. And he is informing Ibn Abbas anhuma of another fruit of this mindfulness of Allah. And this fruit is known as Ma'iyya Khasa. 
Al-Ma'iyyatul-Khasa is that special proximity one has to Allah Ta'ala. He is saying to him, Allah will be with you in the sense of special support, special protection, special strength given to you by your Creator if you are mindful of the limits He set. And then He gives him more advice. He says, وَإِذَا سَأَلْتَ فَاسْأَلِ وَإِذَا اسْتَعَنْتَ فَاسْتَعِنْ بِاللَّهِ He says, and when you ask, ask of Allah, and when you seek help, seek help with Allah or from Allah. So the foundation for us, dear brothers and sisters, is to seek help from our Creator. To pray to Allah, to ask of Allah, to beg of Allah, to connect with our Creator for the fulfillment of our needs so that we come to rely on Him for absolutely everything. That's the foundation. And when that is a lived experience, it translates into <coughs> reliance, and into hardiness, and into constant connection with Allah Ta'ala in all matters, small and large. One draws nearer to Allah Ta'ala by simply expressing their needs, even if they are small needs. Even if it's small, expressing that need to your Lord is great because it's an expression of your servitude to the Divine. Now this phrase, وَإِذَا سَأَلْتَ فَاسْأَلِ اللَّهِ وَإِذَا اسْتَعَنْتَ فَاسْتَعِنْ بِاللَّهِ is not saying that it's absolutely haram for you to ask someone for something. What it means is that you use the means available to you, but your heart is attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It doesn't mean you can't ask someone to pass you a pencil or to pass the salt and ketchup. It doesn't mean you can't go to someone and ask a question. It means that when it comes to matters of cause and effect, you know who the creator of cause and effect is. You know that there is no one who can bring benefit or harm except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The purpose of this is to warn against asking people excessively especially of their wealth, or attaching our hearts to them and linking our hopes and trusting in other people from creation, it is to attach our hearts to the Creator. After this, the Prophet ﷺ gives more advice. And the Imams who explain this hadith say that this entire hadith can be boiled down into this single phrase in the middle of this hadith. He says, وَعْلَمْ You should know. وَعْلَمْ أَنَّ الْأُمَّةِ لَوْ اجْتَمَعَتْ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَنْفَعُوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَمْ يَنْفَعُوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ لَكَ وَإِنْ اجْتَمَعُوا عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَضُرُّوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَمْ يَضُرُّوكَ بِشَيْءٍ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ He says, you should know that if the nation, the community were to gather together to benefit you with something, they would not benefit you with anything except what Allah has already decreed for you. And if they gathered to harm you with anything, if they all came together to harm you, they would not be able to harm you except in so much as Allah has decreed that thing. This means that if every single human being decided today that they're all going to conspire to hurt you, there's nothing they can do if Allah has not willed that to happen. Now you still take the means, but you realize the big picture of who is ultimately in control. 
And this goes back to that central point we made. There is no one who can bring benefit and harm to you independently except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah seizes anyone with a harm, who can remove it? He says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, nothing will ever happen to us bad except what Allah has decreed for us. He is our master and our patron and protector. He is our guarantor. Everything is in the hands of God. History is in good hands. So we take the means in this world, but we understand that the means have no independent power. Allah is the true creator. He is the true doer. He is the musabbibul asbab, the one who creates the effects within the causes by his will. So we affirm cause and effect, and we take the means in this life, of course. But we have to recognize that it must be accompanied with that internal trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah wills, He cre could create a different effect with those causes. And we have so many examples of this in our history. So many examples from the previous nations. Everything we know of as miracles, mu'jizat, are essentially breaks with the patterns of nature, where we see how Allah Ta'ala created different effects with different causes as a miraculous sign or as a means of rescue. I'll give you one example. We have the example of an individual named Abu Muslim al-Khawlani. Abu Muslim al-Khawlani was a tabi'i. He is from the second generation, but he lived during the time of the Prophet He was unable to travel to Medina to meet the Prophet otherwise he would have been a companion. But he met the Sahaba, he met Abu Bakr al-Umar and other Sahaba. During the reign, during the lifetime of Rasulullah there appeared this man in the south. His name was Al-Aswad Al-Ansi. Al-Aswad Al-Ansi was a mutanabbih, he was a false prophet. He was a charlatan cult leader who appeared claiming prophecy to gather followers and to amass power. Abu Muslim al-Khawlani went there to confront him, to challenge him. And Abu, this Aswad al-Ansi had power, he had weapons, he had soldiers, he had material means. And so when Abu Muslim al-Khawlani went to speak with him, he was essentially seized, apprehended, and brought before Aswad al-Ansi. Aswad al-Ansi knows that this is a Muslim, and so he wants to challenge him. He says, Atashhadu anni Rasulullah. He says, Do you bear witness that I am the Messenger of God? And Abu Muslim al Khawlani was unable to hear what he was saying. He was saying, La asma, la asma'uk. I, I can't hear what you're saying. And then Aswad al Ansi says, Atashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. Do you bear witness that Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah? And Abu Muslim al Khawlani heard that. And he says, Naam. Yes, indeed, I bear witness. And instead of continuing with the discussion, Aswad al-Ansi decided to kill Abu Muslim al-Khawlani. So he ordered him to be taken off, taken out. His troops dragged him away. They built this massive fire. 
And when the fire was flaming hot and kindled, they decided they're going to throw him into the fire. So they cast Abu Muslim al Khawlani into this fire, and he's apprehended, he's tied up, and as he lands in the fire, the ropes burn, and he finds in the fire coolness and tranquility. And he's in the fire making dua, and he offers salat in those moments until he was able to get out, and he made an escape and got out of that area. This was witnessed by dozens upon dozens of people, and when he finally made his way back to Medina and the news spread of this miracle, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and Umar bin Khattab received him, and they sat him in between them. And Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, Alhamdulillah, all praise is due to Allah that he did not cause me to die until I saw from the Ummah of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam one who received similar to what Prophet Ibrahim received. When Ibrahim was thrown into the fire and Allah Ta'ala said to the fire, what? Kuni bardan wa salaman ala Ibrahim. Be coolness and a cause of tranquility for Ibrahim. Because in both cases, Allah is the creator of fire. He is the creator of burning. He can lift that at any moment and create something else in its effect. So that is just one story out of many where we see the, the creator of cause and effect. Dear brothers and sisters, after this, the Prophet ﷺ says to Ibn Abbas, he says, Rufi'atil aqlam wajafat al-suhuf. The pin, the pins have been lifted and the pages have dried. And here the Prophet ﷺ is alluding to the belief we have in preordainment. That everything that is going to occur is in the knowledge of Allah Ta'ala. There's no surprises. There's nothing that's going to happen that escapes the knowledge of God Almighty. That is important for us as we go through life. Nothing is taking God by surprise. God is not waiting for anything unexpected to happen. This is the belief that we have as Muslims. So if we take this comprehensive advice, we see that the Prophet ﷺ is guiding Ibn Abbas and therefore all of us from the Ummah to be mindful of Allah so that we are safeguarded in our bodies, minds, and souls. We are told to be mindful of Allah for protection in our deen, our religion, and having a good end at the time of death. We are told to be mindful of Allah if we want help and strength and protection and so on. And we are taught in this hadith to understand the big picture, the ultimate reality, that only Allah can bring benefit and harm and only He can remove them. And while yes, we live in a world of cause and effect, and we are ordered to interact with cause and effect, we understand that nothing is independent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah strengthen that basic understanding we have in our iman, and give us certainty in it. May Allah give us conviction in the reality of His ultimate power presiding over every atom of existence, and make us of those who live this through trust and reliance in recognition of Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ameen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.
Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa aftalu salati wa atamu taslimi ala Sayyidina Muhammadin al-Sadiq al-Ameen, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man istanna bi sunnatihi ila yuladdin amma ba'd. Dear brothers and sisters, we began this khutbah by talking about superstition, or khurafa, or khurafat. Superstitions are defined as credulous beliefs that are not based on revelation and that are not based on sound reason, particularly the belief that future events can be foretold by specific unrelated prior events. That's a basic description of superstition. People who do not understand the basic principles of Islam and our belief concerning Allah might seek to cling to things for reassurance due to fear and anxiety. And as a result of this, they become superstitious and they engage therefore in khurafat, in superstitious beliefs and behaviors, looking for things that they believe will explain the unexplainable. So khurafat, superstitions, are based on fear of the unknown or fear of the abnormal. And khurafat, superstitions, reflect the desire of many people to have power over their destinies. And the Prophet ﷺ from the very first day of his mission is fighting against khurafat. He is speaking against superstitions from every single angle. Whether it is about soothsayers or fortune tellers, the kuhan or the arrafun, or the practice of seeking omens, good or bad, from birds, from pebbles, and so on. He also warned against ascribing power to the stars or the constellations or seeking to predict the future with horoscopes. So if you as a Muslim are opening up the paper and reading the Sunday horoscope to see what you should be looking out for in the next few weeks, you are seeking something rooted in superstition. And this is what the Prophet ﷺ warned about. In this society, we have lots of superstitions. And if many people don't take them seriously, they're still in the society, and they shape people's language and even shape their behavior, even if it's in a jesting manner. Broken mirrors, bringing seven years of bad luck, black cats crossing one's path, the unlucky number 13, there's hotels that don't have a 13th floor still today because of the superstition regarding the number 13. Practices such as throwing salt behind your shoulder if you spill it, or how walking under a ladder is bad luck. Now these are very old superstitions rooted in very ancient false beliefs. And in the Muslim majority world, there are also many khurafat that people hold, depending on where they are. There are so many. There's too many to mention in this khutbah. People look to sorcerers, they look to amils, fortune tellers, soothsayers and the like to solve their problems. Oftentimes problems related to marriage. But they never thought to ask themselves, 
If these people can solve my problems, why do they still have problems in their life? If they're going to solve my problems, shouldn't they have all of their problems solved too? They never think about this. But the reality of superstition is that it is irrational and linking causes to things, to effects that are a mirage. Now, when the Prophet ﷺ teaches in the hadith of Ibn Abbas, he teaches us the meaning and reality of trusting in Allah Ta'ala. And when that becomes a lived reality, we will have much more trust in Allah Ta'ala and confidence in our life and much less desire to seek explanations or practices from people who are delving into these practices of superstition. We take the means while relying upon Allah Ta'ala and that gives us strength and determination and conviction that everything is by Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. We understand as Muslims that there are indeed blessed times, blessed places, blessed people and blessed actions but it is Allah the Creator who told us about those blessed times, places and actions. It is Allah who told us about them and they are causes and the creator of those blessings is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we have to always revisit these core teachings. Oftentimes people like to hear about something that is new or exciting or glamorous but what we always need to hear are the basic reminders that touch on the fundamentals of our faith. That la nafi' wa la Allah. It's one thing to say that we believe that there is no one who brings harm or benefit independently except God. But do we live our lives like that belief is real? Do we say that with our tongue but we act as if power is in everyone and everything and we trust in everything? And Allah is the afterthought. The last one we think about when we come to a problem. We have to assess ourselves, dear brothers and sisters, and make sure that there is mutabaqa, there's congruence between what we say we believe and how we respond in our heart and respond with our tongue and our actions. There has to be congruence. And that is the meaning of sidq, of truthfulness. That the inside and the outside are matching. May Allah give us that congruence, that truthfulness. Oh Allah, we ask you to remove all suspicions from our heart, all superstitions, all khurafat, and to give us full reliance upon you, full tawakkul and i'timad. Oh Allah, allow us to know you experientially, knowing that you have power over all things. Oh Allah, make us of those who turn to you for all of our needs, small and large, and allow us to be of those who understand cause and effect through the teachings of your Prophet ﷺ, who modeled for us how we are to live in this world and understand these matters. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-nar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin abdika wa rasulika al-nabiyyir ummi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim tasliman kathira bi qadri azamati thatika fi kulli waqtin wahin. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa kumu ila salatika.